Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to bring your word. And whatever is not of you, let it fall to the ground. Whatever is of you, Lord, let it take root and um, that it be planted and watered and grow. I pray that each and every one of your people here will be refreshed and blessed by this whole message and that you're honoured and given the highest place. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Right, so this morning... Uh, I'm going to talk about how you are a gift, and each and every one of you is a gift. You're a gift to those around you. You're a gift to your family, you're a gift to your church, and you're a gift to wherever it is that you work. And also, not forgetting, you're a gift in your community. So I know that we sometimes don't feel like we're a bit of a gift and we can put ourselves down a little bit and like when we're knee deep in, you know, nappies or anything, children and whatever, things like that, we don't feel like we've got that much going on to help others. But sometimes when nothing seems to be changing and there's like the same old, same old, it's like eat, sleep, work, repeat, isn't it? We don't feel like a gift. We don't feel very much like a gift. Then when we're feeling a bit under the weather, we don't feel like a gift. We don't want to gift them what we've got when we feel ill, do we? But, you know, you are. You're a gift. Please forgive me for reading notes this morning. It's all been a bit quick. So I was up this morning just going over some things. Um, but God created you to be a gift to those around you. In Matthew 5, verse 13, in the message version, I love the message version of this, it says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. How beautiful is that? I love that. And then further on in verse 14, and we're going to look at this again a bit later on, Jesus said, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a light stand, shine. So we are going to come back to that, but you are created to be a gift. That's how God sees you. It's his purpose for you. And how do we be that gift? By loving and serving, by doing good. I asked God what I should do once. I said, what's it all about? And I was praying and saying, God, what's it all about? What do I do? What do you want me to do? And the simple thing that just kept coming back to mind was love and serve. And it's really simple. God didn't make it complicated. He just said, love and serve, love and serve him love and serve others. It's become a bit of a motto, love and serve God, love and serve people. If it's not loving and serving, if it's judging and criticizing, it's not of God. Well, only God's the judge. I'm getting a bit fed up of seeing all this judgment coming on people on things like Facebook and social media. It's doing my head in. Um, I just feel like, who made everybody, even Christians, who made us judge and jury? We're not. God's the judge. We, if we start judging, we put ourselves in his position, and that's wrong. So, no, we love and we serve. 
There's been a lot, it's not on my notes, but there's been a lot said about Kanye West. Who's heard of Kanye West and his conversion? And there's been so much like arguments and things like this. I've been really interested to read them. But I think, you know what? Good on the guy. He's come to God. He's made an album called Jesus is King. So people have to say Jesus is King all the time. They have to wear T-shirts if they want to follow what Kanye West is singing about. They're wearing T-shirts that's saying Jesus is King. He's, you know, he's going out preaching the gospel. And still people are criticizing and mocking. And, and these are Christians. So, no, let's love and serve and not judge. So even when you don't feel like you're a gift, you are. You could be that one person that somebody trusts. You could be that one person that listens to someone. The one who people ask for prayer. There's not a lot of, you know, in the world, sometimes they only sort of know one or two Christians. They might, you know, my mum always rings me and says, can you pray for this person? Or can you pray for that person? Because they come to her and she says, I'll ask the church to pray. And, you know, if you're on the, you know, if you, if you come to the prayer team, if you know the prayer team, you'll know that. I'm always saying, my mum said, can we pray for this person? You know, because she's always doing that. Um, because she's the one person that they know to ask for prayer. So some of you, might know that up till about you know May last Easter last year I was a teacher so today we're going to do the three R's Rachel Rahab and Ruth now I've spoken a little bit on them before but not here okay so I've done a bit of adapting and I've added some things um but when I think of Rachel I automatically think, oh, what a blessed woman she was. She was the one that Jacob actually fought for. He wanted to go. He would work 14 years just to get her. You know, when it was such a great love story that when he actually met her, he burst into tears. How beautiful is that? Um, it's really soppy and lovely. I like it. But um, she was, you know, a distant cousin, the daughter of, um, well, not a distant cousin. She was the daughter of his mother, Rebecca's brother, Lab Laban or Laban, whatever you want to say, and she was a shepherdess. And they fell in love immediately on sight. And but she was not the older sister. Her older sister Leah, um, you know, her still was still not married. But Rachel was known as the more beautiful sister. And, you know, it, it comes through that she was, might, might have been a little bit spoiled and had a bit of a temper. Um, so poor Leah, you know, she's looking on. She sees Rachel has just fallen in love with this guy who's like a kinsman. And that was the, you know, the done thing. And Leah, you know, she was the one that we should feel sorry for. She was sent into Jacob's tent on Rachel and Jacob's wedding night. Can you believe that? And he, he pledged to work seven years for her. So how must she have felt when, this is Leah, when she woke up and saw his disappointment when he saw her face in the morning? And then he gets up and he goes mad at her father. How could you do that to me? But actually, you know, how could he complain? He'd done exactly the same thing himself. 
because he pretended to be his older brother when he went for the blessing and stole it from, um, from Isaac, from Esau with Isaac. So I think God was showing him there, although it, you know, it, it wasn't the right thing to do. God didn't orchestrate that. But God showed him just how it felt to be cheated. But even though Jacob, uh, Rachel was wanted by Jacob, it's obvious that she was not her father's favorite. And listen to what he said when Jacob asked to marry her in Genesis 29:18. It's far better that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yeah, stay here with me. It sounds a bit like, I suppose so, go on then, you can have her. It's not very nice, is it? It's, it's, you know, he's saying, well, I'd, I'd only send her away if you don't marry her. It's, um, could you imagine how she must have felt? And then he went and switched sisters. Why would he do that to her? He knew that they loved each, each other. How must she have felt? She was betrayed by her dad and her sister. She was betrayed by her own family out of her promise. And they did get married, and it was only a week later, but only after he'd, pl he'd pledged to, to work for another seven years. So it was 14 years he had to work just for his wives. Well, he was wanted to work just for Rachel. But then her relationship with her sister turned really quite volatile. And I think it must have grown a little bit deeper than just this rivalry, because it passed down into the children. And then, you know, obviously we know the story that Leah's boys nearly killed Jake, uh, Joseph, and, um, who was Rachel's son, and then they obviously sold him off into slavery. But Rachel sat around and watched Leah produce all these children um, while she remained childless. Jacob assured her that he loved her the most and that her companionship was her gift to him. But she wanted to be like her sister and produce children for him. She became really bitter and she became desperate. And she did the whole Sarah thing and gave him her maid. She said, oh, well, I can't do it, so my maid will have your children. And he had a son with her. Then Leah gave her maid. It's like this rivalry going on. Jacob's having a whale of a time. Um, but there's always this rift, you know. <laughs> this rivalry between the two sisters. But she eventually, she became pregnant with Joseph and her womanhood to her was restored. And her husband loved Joseph more than the other children because he, he came from Rachel. Shortly after Joseph was born, the family moved away. But even then, her resentment for her father got the better of her and she stole the household idols. Now, it probably wasn't to do with worship for her, um, but actually, in those days, if you had the household idols, you got the inheritance. And it's fascinating, isn't it, how alike her and Jacob are. Okay, so she, like, he stole the inheritance, and she's just stolen the inheritance. I don't know whether she'd learned this from him or thought it was fine because he'd done it or they were just kindred spirits and are very alike. 
And she didn't tell anyone. She didn't even tell Jacob. And this had the most awful outcome because Jacob then said, we've not done anything and a curse on whoever did take them. And so she ended up under a curse. And he said that the person who took them will surely die. And when she, had, when she gave birth to her second child, Benjamin, she died. She passed away. Um, so how was she a gift? She was rejected, harbored resentment, sidelined, and then cursed. But through her, a divine plan was being worked out. Yes, she was a gift to her husband. He adored her, but she was a gift to Israel. Through the grace of God, she became a prominent part in God's divine purpose. She did something right in the way she brought Jacob up, uh, Joseph up in his formative years because she taught him well. And even though his brothers hated him, he was innocent and trusting and untouched by all that resentment. Not like the brothers, because they were very resentful, weren't they? And she'd had all that resentment beforehand, but when she had Joseph, the resentment went. Because she says in Genesis 30, 23, God has taken away my humiliation. And so that resentment had gone. So that divine plan then worked out because Joseph became prime minister of Egypt and saved the family from famine. He was one of whom was said in Acts 7, yet God was with him. Benjamin became the favorite after Joseph uh, went and the tribe of Benjamin was influential and singled out as a recipient of the gracious promises of the Lord in Jeremiah 33. So even though you might feel like, well, I've been rejected by parents or husband or whoever, you might not be the favorite one or the talented one or the gifted one or whatever. You might feel like you've been cursed or come second. You're still a gift. Your life has a purpose. You can have, a, you know, a, a, a lasting legacy. I've got a, a, a picture in my bathroom and it says your influence extends where you're where your shadow may never be, or something like that. And so it, 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 it goes further than you do. So we can learn from Rachel. Don't hold on to unforgiveness and resentment. You need to let those go. It'll cheat you from joy. It'll cheat you from your fulfillment. It'll delay your promises. It took her a bit of a time to do that, but it appears that she did learn. She was humbled and found peace and joy. And after learning some patience, she became a gift to Israel. So now we're going to move on to Rahab. And Rahab, is, it's a great story about this lady. And Rahab must have felt of being so abused and hurt by the men of Jericho to betray them the way that she did. She was a known prostitute. She was known as Rahab the harlot. What a title. And, you know... She purposely hid the spies sent by Joshua. She lied to the king of Jericho about them, but she understood the promises of God. As she told the spies that she knew God had given Jericho to them. She knew God had parted the Red Sea. She, she said all this to them and where the Hebrews had taken the cities. She knew what would happen if she helped them. 
She knew that she would be blessed. And Rahab became the very first recorded Gentile, that's like foreigner, non-Jew, convert. So she's the very first person we know who sort of changed her religion type of thing to, you know, she became Jewish. But before she let them go, she extracted a promise for them. She wanted her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters to be kept safe from death. They agreed, and the sign was to be a red rope hung from a window so that they weren't killed as Jericho was taken. How brave is this lady? She's so brave. She's not, put her, she's not just put her own life on the line. The king knew that they'd stayed with her. But bargaining with the spies for her family and anyone connected with it, she was certainly a gift to them, her family, as well as the spies. So she must have been extremely fearful. Her courage and trust in, in the God of Israel meant by God's loving grace, her past life as a prostitute was forgiven and it was pretty much forgotten about. When she left that place, she was no longer Rahab the harlot. She was no longer unclean. And she went on to become the bride of a guy called Salmon. Um, I don't think I'd you know, name my son Salmon, but there you go. The mother of Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David, the great king, the great king. And then ultimately, her life was weaved into the lineage of Jesus. Rahab the harlot, no, Rahab the, well, Jesus, the descendant of Rahab. She was a light to the Hebrews and also to her family. It must have taken some self-control for her to keep from pointing out certain people who cruelly used her. She could have stood there and going, you can get him and you can get that one there and that woman there, she was horrible. You know, she could have done that. It must have taken a lot of self-control. And then we, talk, then we come to Ruth. I love the story of Ruth. She gives me hope. And um, she had a very different personality to Rachel. And she also was a foreigner. She was from Moab. She was a Moabitess. And, you know, the Hebrews had been told, don't mix with the Moabites. Don't go near them. Israel and Moab didn't usually get on with each other. Moab person Moab was the offspring of an incestuous relationship of Lot and one of his daughters and that was shortly after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed so they weren't looked on very nicely by the rest of Israel so they usually battled with each other and in Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 the law stated no Ammonite or Moabite is to enter the congregation of God even to the 10th generation, nor any of his children ever. Seems to be a bit of a full stop on that. But again, God's grace comes into play. Ruth not only has a book named after her in the Bible, she also features in Jesus' genealogy. Okay, but it went at the beginning for her, it went disastrously wrong. She married an Israelite. They'd come to that country. And then he passed away and he left her childless. In fact, all the men in the family 
passed away. There was none left. The two brothers and the father. And the father was married to Naomi. And to say Naomi was depressed is a bit of an understatement. And she grieved for her family and tried to send her daughters-in-law back home. She just said, go home to your families and start afresh. And she felt cursed. Childlessness was thought of as a divine curse in ancient culture, as the family name would cease without the children. One of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, went home. But Ruth famously said to Naomi in Ruth 1, 16 to 17, where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people will be me be my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. Not even death itself is going to come between us. What an amazing statement. Just think about what she was saying. In those days, women had very little or no rights of their own. And, you know, they had almost no possessions of their own either. She had nothing material to gain by sticking with Naomi. She had nothing to gain from it. And she was from Moab, so she's going to be rejected. She knows this. But I believe from reading Ruth that she'd found a relationship with God while living with Naomi. And I'm really convinced that she didn't want to go back to how they lived there. She didn't want to go back to idol worship. She didn't want to go back to that kind of lifestyle. She wanted to follow Naomi's God. And she didn't want to, that, that, that country practiced things like child sacrifice. She didn't want to do that. So just from this statement, we can see that she was such a gift, Ruth, to Naomi but look at her life at this point. She's a widow. She's there with another widow. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite S, someone who was not allowed in the assembly. She wouldn't be allowed to worship with anybody. But God had already redeemed her. She had accepted him as her God. She was saved. She was a gift. It mustn't have felt like that when they were traveling back when they were traveling back to Bethlehem with their husbands, without their husbands, without anything, it must have felt quite a hopeless situation for Ruth. She didn't even know where she was going. All she wanted to do was go, I'll help you, Naomi. Naomi felt like she just wanted to curl up and die. And Ruth was like, I'm not leaving you. I want, I'm going to worship your God and I'm going to be with you and you're not going to be alone. You've got me. She was a gift. But Naomi might have thought, oh, I've got another mouth to feed. I've got somebody to look after. I've got to look out for this girl now. Naomi sa- uh, the Bible says Naomi was really bitter for a time. So I wonder how Ruth felt when she, she said, right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do some work. And she went out into the field. They were desperate for food. And there she was picking up the leftovers, the barley that had been dropped. Did she feel worthless? Did she regret coming back with Naomi? Anyway, regardless, she knew it was down to her to help feed them. It wasn't up to Naomi, it was up to her. So she worked so hard that Boaz asked who she, who she was, and the foreman said to him in Ruth 2, verse 6 to 7, 
That's the Moabite girl who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked to permission, let me glean. He went on to say, she's been at it steady ever since from early morning until now without so much as a break. He wasn't the only one who'd been talking about her. Boaz told her how he knew how much she'd done for Naomi and come to a strange land. People had heard of her. They'd heard she was a gift. Her reputation, you know, spoke for itself. She did lots of good for Naomi. She stuck with her and she did the work. So most know the rest of the story, how Boaz became her kinsman redeemer. And then they married, gave birth to Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, ancestor of Jesus. What a gift. It's amazing. Her, you know, even though she'd been widowed and felt like an outsider, poor and destitute, she was a gift and then obviously a gift to us as well, to all of us. So each, the, each of these women went through hardship. They had a testimony of hardship. They didn't have it easy. And God didn't say we wouldn't have trouble. He just said, you know, when you have trouble, I'm there with you. You can get through it with me. He's with us when it hits. And their testimonies have become a gift. Each and every one of us has a testimony, testimony to tell. And year by year, our testimonies, they develop and they grow. And more is added or revealed, depending on how you look at it. So we're a gift, and we're a gift to do good. We're a gift to do good. And Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good. And it doesn't just mean miracles. It meant he was doing good things. Sometimes we're more focused on the power and we forget about the doing good. When you're doing good, you're doing God's work. You're emulating Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He already prepared the good works for us to do, that we should walk in them. We're not only created in Christ Jesus, we are created for good works. So I learned this week that the Hebrew word countenance, it, the one that's used in Genesis, meant literally how you see life, the reflection of life. God told Cain to do well before, you know, he didn't do well, but you know, he, he, God told him to go and do well. And the way you see life will change when you do good works. And if Cain had gone ahead and done good, then he might have seen things a bit differently and not been as jealous of his brother. Okay? So, where am I? Grace empowers us to do the work, and good works are supposed to evangelize for us. Okay? It's not about how good we look, but it's about how we show God's heart to others. 
Jesus said, and we've already read it in a different version, you are the light of the world. This is Matthew 5, 14 to 16. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we don't go and do it for the glory. We do it for his glory. In other places, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But God's not confused. He's not confused. It's not a contradiction. It's about motive. Motive matters. God looks at the heart. If it doesn't glorify God and it glorifies us, that's just going to build pride and then we're going to, you know, we're in danger of falling. Now, there's, I've been reading about this guy called Charles Finney. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Charles Finney. But he lived in like 17, late 1700s, early 1800s. And he lived in a time when slavery was normal in America. It was just a normal thing. But he was radically saved. And when he set up his church, he started to preach in a church, he decided he was going to ban slave owners and um, slave traders from taking part in communion. He became president of the college where he lectured and that college was the first American college to accept women and African Americans in addition to white men. Now this is, remember, 1700s, 1800s. It's normal to have slaves and be a slave, all that in those days in America. And he helped to put together the Underground Railroad, which was a network of secret safe houses and um, places for people to go to when they escaped from slavery. So these were so radical and brave acts in those days. And it was a good hundred years or so before Martin Luther King came along and, and all that. But they were good works. And Charles Finney, you know, people talk about his, what he says and things like that. Now it comes into lots of preachers. And there's been a lot said about purpose, gifting, and talents here at church lately. Gifting and talent, not the same things. Same with fruits and gifts, they're different. The nine fruits in Galatians 5.22 grow as you develop as a Christian. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't about you, I always forget one when I'm thinking of them. There's always one that I'm like, which one? what's that next? last one I can't think I'm like this I don't know I always forget one but then the nine gifts of the spirit are bestowed okay so the the fruits grow as you develop and you know and the gifts of the spirit are bestowed knowledge wisdom prophecy faith healing miracles discerning of spirits of tongues interpretation of tongues okay and we can all move in the gifts but they will not be effective if we do not move in the fruit. Do you see what I mean? So we need to think carefully. It's about character. Okay? So we might say, oh, I've got this gift and all that. But if you've not got love, if you're, you know, teaching and preaching and whatever, and there's no love in it, it means nothing. It falls to the ground. 
it's not for his glory anymore. You may have a talent or you might have been moving in one or more of the gifts, but if you don't move in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you can't be a gift. Your gift and talent will destroy you if you don't have the character to sustain it. So Jesus moved out of a heart of love and compassion. He went to the poor, the sick, the marginalized. He gave them value. He loved them. Loves them, I should say. Being a woman is not a curse. Some people need to understand this. The curse which came upon Eve in the Garden of Eden was broken by Jesus on the cross. That curse reduced women to servants of their husbands to be ruled over because of sin. But if Jesus broke the power of sin at Calvary, we're restored, we're made righteous. We've got relationship with God, we've got that gift. We can submit to one another in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know what you're meant to do, know this, you're meant to do good works. Not to get you into heaven, Jesus already paid that price. It's not, you know, a competition to get in there or anything like that. But it's our mandate to become more like Jesus and he went about doing good works. So if you're stuck in a rut and you don't know what you're called to do, do good works. You know, your breakthrough will come if you're struggling with anything. Good works opens doors. God speaks to us when we do good works. So you are strong, you're courageous, you're free to be a gift. And um, it's, I've got here, James Keller said, a candle loses nothing by lighting other candles. So shine your light, let your candle light other candles. I love that. Help others to be a gift. So let's pray. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. I thank you, Father God, that you, you're speaking to us this morning. I praise your name, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you just help us to, to seek out good works to do, to give you glory, Lord. I pray even if we're doing them secretly, you know, all the glory comes to you. If, they, if we do them in front of people, all the glory goes to you. We just pray, Father God, that you would just bring us in these areas where we can do good things and people will be pointed towards you. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us this week. Help us, Father God, as we um, go about our days. Keep us safe from all harm, sickness, danger and evil. In Jesus' name, amen.